And it reminds us of how essential the resurrection is to our faith. It really is the cornerstone of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus being the central author and perfecter of our faith. And I know you're thankful, like I am, that we can follow a Savior like Jesus, who lived a perfect life, became the Lamb of God for us, and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Well, Easter is all about the fact that Jesus is risen. The tomb is empty. And that tomb is a powerful piece of evidence for the resurrection of Christ. Yes, it will always be a step of faith. Always be a step of faith. But in my thinking, the more I've evaluated the evidence over the years, the more I realize it's a greater step of faith. In fact, it's a leap of faith to deny the resurrection of Christ than to take that small step of faith and believe that something miraculous happened in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. His tomb is empty. He is risen. And today I want to talk about this, the transformational power of the resurrection. How Jesus Christ, being alive, has the power to change us has the power to change our lives and our eternities. In fact, the bottom line of our message today is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ highlights the power of God to change our lives, to transform our lives, and to make us right with God and change our eternity. And my prayer would be that everyone listening today would know that there is power in the name of Jesus. That there is power in the name of Jesus because he truly rose again from the dead and did what no other religious leader has ever done. That after being nailed to the cross, after being flogged by the Romans, after being beaten and hanging on the cross for six hours, he rose in victory to prove that he truly had power over death and the ability to give us eternal life. That he is, as the centurion said, the son of God. The son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if there's a reason that you need to have as to why Jesus stayed on the cross, it's because he loves us. I love what Jesus says In John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Riverview Church, greater love has no one than Jesus. He laid down his life for you on the cross. And we say this often here at Riverview Church, the nails had nothing to do with keeping Jesus on the cross. It was all because of his love for us, the desire to do the will of the Father, the desire to see millions of people come to faith in Christ, to offer a way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you take away the resurrection, you take away the cornerstone of our faith, the whole thing begins to tumble. It's exactly what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talks about the resurrection of Christ and the evidence for it. 
And I love the fact that Paul had no problem presenting the evidence for our faith. That it's not a blind faith, but it's a faith based on a body of evidence that is powerful. More than 500 people saw Jesus alive. The Romans could not produce the body of Christ. The Jewish leaders could not produce the body of Christ. Why? Because he was alive. He had risen from the dead. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Hey, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, shut the doors of the church. Even though there's nobody here. Shut the doors of the church. Go home. Turn off the TV. Because our faith is in vain. But the reality is this, and it really ties into our series on the book of Acts, the unstoppable church. Right? Something happened in Jerusalem that caused thousands of people to come to faith in Christ. Even skeptical scholars will say that. Something happened that brought about the birth of the church that has spread around the world. Whether you're an old person or a young person today, hold your head high in the evidence for the resurrection of Christ because it is a powerful piece of evidence. You know, when I was in seminary years ago, I had a car that uh, I would drive all over the place. I lived in New Jersey when I went to seminary. I'd drive through New Jersey, through Pennsylvania, through Ohio, through Indiana to Illinois to get to Trinity Seminary north of Chicago. And the amazing car that I had to make this trip was this old orange Honda Civic, just like the one you see on the screen. You can imagine how proud I was to drive that car on campus. It, it, the, the, the 20 horsepower in that engine, amazing. But as a poor seminary student, that was the best I could do. That was my car. And I remember being home in New Jersey one summer. I was about ready to leave for my second year of seminary. And my Honda Civic, the engine wasn't purring like it normally does. The, the beautiful 20 horsepowers weren't working together like they normally do. And I, I began to read up what could be causing the problem. And I noticed that one mechanic had stated that it could be the camshaft of the rotor of the car, the rotor cap. And, and so I popped off the rotor cap and I looked at the camshaft and sure enough, on the camshaft is a little bump. And what happens is that little bump causes a little piece of metal to remove itself from making contact with the electrical current in the car. And that would spark the spark plugs. And if that camshaft bump wears down, then your car isn't going to run as well. So I thought that must be the problem. So I bought a new little camshaft to put in that car. And I was feeling so proud of myself. I, I removed the old camshaft, put this little camshaft in there. This was before the days of electronic ignition. You can tell by that car, that did not have electronic ignition. And I put the camshaft in there, and I was ready to go. The, the engine sounded pretty good. And I started to leave from New Jersey, driving through Pennsylvania. I was in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden, my engine just cuts out. The engine just stops. I coast to the side of the road, and I can't figure out what's wrong. I had plenty of gas in the gas tank. 
Then I began to think, could it possibly be that little piece, that camshaft that I put in the car? So I popped off the rotor cap. I I looked inside, and sure enough, that little bump on the camshaft had fallen off. It must have been some cheap piece made in Norway or something. The whole car stopped. The whole car was useless. The whole car shut down because of this one little piece. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, what did I do with the old piece? I remembered that after I had changed the camshaft, I had just thrown the old piece into my toolbox, which I put in the back of my car, pulled out my toolbox, dug in the tools, found that camshaft, put it back in, put the old one back in, and the car ran again. That little piece stopped the whole car. That one piece made that car useless to me. You know, that's what the resurrection of Christ is like. It is a cornerstone of our faith. If that event falls, our entire faith falls. But I will tell you with all the confidence I can today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ will not fall. The evidence is powerful. The disciples all knew that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead and they dedicated their lives to spreading the church. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Because there's one individual that experienced a radical transformation. And his name was Peter. If you have your Bibles, Mark 14, 26. And when we read this text, Peter faced a pressure that many of us face in our lives. As Jesus is being led up by the plan of God to be crucified, all part of God's plan, Peter faces this pressure to perform. And we see it in Mark 14, 26 through 31. Jesus predicts that all the disciples will fall away. Jesus predicts that they will not stay with him. And if you look at the text in Mark 14, verse 29, Peter says this, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, This very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But Peter said emphatically, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. See, as Jesus is being led up to this amazing moment of laying down his life on the cross, Peter said all the right things, didn't he? He said all the right things, but we know he wasn't able to follow through because Jesus prophesied exactly what would happen. That even though Peter put down all the other disciples and said, hey, even if all these other losers, in essence he was implying, fall away, I will not. I I will die with you before I fall away. And when I read that passage, I... I see what many people have struggled with in their lives. This pressure to say all the right things, to maybe sing all the right songs and do all the right things, but their heart isn't close to God. 
And my prayer would be this Resurrection Sunday that you would realize how important it is to have a relationship with God, that you're, you're not just doing the right things on the outside, but what you're doing on the outside comes from a heart that loves God on the inside, and you're being changed from the inside out. That's a wonderful way to change. I'm reminded of the story of a family sitting down at a dinner table. And a young boy rises from his chair and is standing up. And the dad says, son, sit down. And the young boy says, no. And the dad says, son, sit down. And the young boy says again, no. And the dad gets up from his chair, walks around the table, takes the shoulders of that young boy and pushes him down in the chair. And he says, the dad does, sit down. The dad walks back to his chair and sits down himself. And the little boy looks at his father and said, Dad, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. See, that boy wasn't changed from the inside out. But that's exactly what God does for us if we allow him to transform our lives, to change us from the inside out, to give us a new heart. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Don't you love that concept? That God takes our fallen heart, our sinful desires, and he begins to change us from the inside out. He makes us a new creation. He adopts us into his family. Peter said all the right things, but we know what happens. He ultimately denies Christ three times. And I'm not sure what drove it. One of my thoughts is it could have been an attitude of superiority. Hey, I'm better than all the rest of these disciples. These are all losers who are going to fall away from you. But I will not. See, that comes back to pride. And pride so often gets in the way of what Christ wants to do in our lives. That we as believers in Christ need to acknowledge, God, your way is best. I will follow you. I'll humble myself. Uh, Peter had this attitude of superiority. And I love Peter just like you do. Why? Because I see so much of myself in him. So often, uh, Peter would have struggles in his walk, and the scriptures give us an account of those struggles in a very honest way, which speaks, by the way, to the truthfulness of God's word. But not only did he have this attitude of superiority, but even when Jesus, God in flesh, prophesied that Peter would deny Christ three times before the rooster crowed twice, he denied it. Denied the very words of Jesus. He ignored the very teaching of Jesus. And I get why he did that. His enthusiasm, his desire to perform on the outside overcame the reality that, you know what Jesus says is true. See, he ignored the very teaching of Jesus because of this attitude of superiority. And my friends at Riverview and anyone listening today, my prayer would be that you would love the Word of God, the teachings of Jesus, that you would be honest with yourself and ask yourself, is your heart in touch with God? Does he know you and do you know him? 
Do you have a relationship with him? You've probably heard that saying, that our faith in Christ is more than a religion, a bunch of do's and don'ts. And thinking if I jump through all of these hoops, God, of course, must accept me. But I'm reminded of those who did all these works for Christ and did so many things on the outside. And Jesus said these very sobering words, depart from me, I never knew you. I didn't know you. And may we this Resurrection Sunday realize that if Jesus is risen from the dead and he is alive and if he lives within us just like we experienced when we saw the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit living inside of believers, then we can have our day-by-day, moment-by-moment relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the resurrection promises us. To allow Christ to change you from the inside out. Well, we probably know what happened. After Peter makes these amazing statements of never, ever denying Jesus, Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's taken away to be tried by the Jewish leaders. And Peter is in the courtyard of the temple and he faces the next pressure that so many of us encounter in our lives It's this pressure, the pressure to conform, the pressure to cave in to the thinking of this world, the pressure to cave in, to be like the world. When when the word of God is so clear that if we follow Jesus, our thinking, our minds, our hearts, our spirit is so different than the way the world thinks, than what the world loves, than what the world is connected to. When Jesus was being tried, Peter was in the temple courtyard. And Mark 14 says this, And after a little while, the bystanders again came to Peter and said, Certainly you're one of them, the disciples of Jesus, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Peter did exactly what Jesus prophesied. He denied Christ three times. He denied the person that he'd been with for three years. He saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. He walked on water with Jesus. But he conformed to the pressures of this world. He conformed to the pressures of this world, and he collapsed under the pressure. And I want to share it with you today that the one thing that will allow you to have the internal strength to stand up against the pressures of this world is the reality of Jesus within you and a heart that says, Lord, my desire is to follow you and rely on your strength, not mine. Because it's when we are weak, it's when we see our weakness that we can't walk the Christian life alone. It's then, the Bible says, that we are strong when we rely on God. And that same pride that caused Peter to have this attitude of superiority, I'll never deny you, Jesus, is probably the same attitude that led him to think that he could handle this on his own. And he couldn't. And he caved into the pressure. 
And in Mark chapter 14, we see that sobering text. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. He had denied his Savior three times. And when we see this, I think we, we break, our hearts break for Peter. Because we understand how terrible that must have felt when he realized he did exactly what Jesus had prophesied he would do. And we may even remember times in our lives when we were afraid to take a stand for Jesus. When we caved into the thinking of this world. When we agreed with people around us, maybe it was at the workplace or in high school or junior high or with friends in the neighborhood, we kind of agreed with things that we knew did not represent Christ, didn't represent the truths of God's word. And we know better. Inside our hearts, we know better because that's what the resurrection of Christ confirms for each of us, that what Jesus said was true, that Jesus' words had authority. And when he was here on earth, he spoke with authority because he knew exactly what he was talking about. He knew about life and death and eternal life and about sin and how to be right with God. See, Peter made the mistake of doing this. He isolated himself from others. He was all alone when this happened. And I want to encourage all of you, I know we're apart from each other during this time of the coronavirus and this is a trying time for all of us. Again, I want to say thank you to all the healthcare workers, all our first responders, our frontline people that are out there working to make people safe. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for protecting us and putting yourselves at risk. We're praying for you. We're behind you. And we're thankful for you. But when this is all done, when the virus is gone, may we have a renewed commitment to come together as a church and find strength in our fellowship with one another. Peter made the mistake of isolating himself. He was all alone uh, with all of these people at the temple courtyard, a high-pressure situation, and he caved in. And I believe he allowed his fear to dictate his actions. He allowed his fear to dictate his actions. He lived by fear, at least at that moment. And may we be believers in Christ that hold our heads high, that we're not afraid of the opinions of people around us. What motivates us is our relationship with Christ, knowing that one day this life will pass. Even this past week, I did a graveside service during the coronavirus outbreak. And as the few people that were there gathered together at the grave site, I was reminded again how fragile our lives are and how good it is that we know the creator of the universe, the creator of 400 billion galaxies, that when he says something, he will do it. And he proved it by rising from the dead like no other religious leader has ever done. And I tell people this all the time. People that contradict Jesus will die and stay dead. I guarantee it. They will not 
be resurrected from the tomb like Jesus after hanging on a cross for six hours. Jesus didn't faint on the cross. He didn't swoon on the cross. The Romans were professional killers. And the policy was, if you allowed a prisoner to live after crucifixion, then that Roman soldier would die. They made sure Jesus was dead. And yet when he came out of the tomb, he appeared to his disciples in power and strength and victory. That's where our confidence is today. And like Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15, if that didn't happen, then our faith is in vain. But we know it did. Thousands of people came to faith in Christ less than one mile from his empty tomb. More than 400 people saw him alive. More than 500 people saw him alive. And not only that, but all the disciples who experienced the resurrection gave their lives as martyrs for the faith, each one dying for what they knew really happened, Jesus Christ risen from the dead. If it was a lie, the disciples would have known it. They would have known it was a lie. And nowhere in history will you find 12 individuals dying horrific deaths for what they knew was a lie. The disciples died horrific deaths because they knew Jesus Christ had truly risen from the dead. That's a powerful piece of evidence. For all of you that may be struggling with the resurrection, think about it. What caused thousands of people to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? What caused the disciples to give their lives? Peter, for example, being crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Christ. What caused that? What brought that about? The fact that the Romans couldn't produce the body of Jesus. They wanted to. Believe me, they wanted to. The Jewish leaders couldn't produce the body of Christ. They wanted to. Believe me, they wanted to. But they couldn't because Jesus was alive. And thousands of people came to faith in Christ. Please be bold about your faith. Be bold about your faith. Don't cave into the pressure to perform, to just go through the external motions and you know that your heart is far from God. Don't cave into conforming to the thinking of this world. We don't need to be like the world. Yes, we love the people around us just like Jesus does. He died for everyone that we encountered in our lives. We desire to see them come to know Jesus because we love them with the love of Christ. And if you've experienced the reality of a God that loves you. Like we started off our study by saying greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. If you've experienced that love, then you know you can't do anything else but love the people of this world who are lost in sin and desire that they would come to know this amazing Savior that can transform their lives. So that's the third thing I want to remind you of today. The power that Jesus has to change us, to transform our lives. As we've seen in the text, Peter felt defeated he broke down and wept when he realized he denied Jesus and he heard the rooster crow and he knew that he had done exactly what Jesus told him he would do. And he broke down and wept. But after the resurrection, I want to tell you this. I love this part of the Bible. I love the part, this part of the New Testament. When Jesus restores Peter, 
See, before Peter was restored, he ran to the tomb with John. In John chapter 20, it says this about Peter. Both of them, Peter and John, were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't like that to be uh, written about me in the Bible. Obviously, John must have been in better shape than Peter. But I think there was another factor at play here. The other factor was this. As Peter ran to the tomb, I'm sure the guilt of his denials of Jesus began to weigh heavy upon him. And maybe he slowed down a bit because he remembered what he had said about Jesus. Then the text says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths there. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. See, it was at that moment that Peter realized he's risen. Risen from the dead. That what Jesus prophesied about himself, that he would rise again from the dead, came to pass. And in John chapter 21, Jesus, the risen Christ, has this amazing restoration of Peter. He meets Peter in John chapter 21. And Jesus said to Peter the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He'd already asked Peter twice, do you love me? And Peter said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, Peter had denied Christ three times. But in John chapter 21, we see Jesus asking Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And every time Peter said yes, Jesus reiterated his desire for Peter to still fulfill the job that Jesus had for him. A great transformation in the life of Peter. A great restoration in the life of Peter. And Jesus wants to do that for us as well. If you're feeling far from God today, Jesus wants to restore you into a relationship with God. If you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can make that decision today, right in your seat at home, wherever you might be listening to this. Jesus loves to transform us. Jesus loves to change us. And as we know, Peter went on to lead the early church. His first sermon, 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. His next sermon, 5,000 people coming to faith in Christ. Transformed by the power of God. You might think, well, Mel, he denied Jesus three times. Is, is that sin so great that it can't be forgiven? Absolutely not. See, that is the beauty of the cross. And that is the promise that is contained in the empty tomb. That there is no sin so great that God cannot forgive it. No matter what it is, you can be forgiven. No matter what it is, that sin that separates us from God can be taken away and we can have a relationship with God as one of his children, as he adopts us into the family of God. That is the core message of Easter, the victory of the cross, the victory over sin, that no matter how badly we've failed, 
that there is enough grace for us. And when we come to faith in Christ, we say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I receive you into my life as my Savior and my Lord. The Savior that died on the cross to pay the price for your sins. And you receive him as Lord by saying, now that I've received this free gift of forgiveness, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you and see you work in my life and transform me to be more like you each and every day. Yes, there will be struggles. Yes, there will be failures. But we go back to the foot of the cross and we remember that at the cross, there is victory. When I think of these disciples, I see lives transformed by the power of God. Lives who were transformed by Jesus within them, changing them from the inside out. See, these disciples who gave their lives for what they knew was true. Think about what happened to them. Let me share with you this list. Peter crucified upside down. Andrew crucified. Bartholomew crucified. James, the half-brother of Jesus, stoned to death. James, son of Alphaeus, crucified. James, son of Zebedee, death by the sword. John died a natural death while in prison. Matthew, death by the sword. Philip, crucified. Simon the Zealot, crucified. Thaddeus, death by arrows. Thomas, death by a spear thrust. And Paul, the apostle, beheaded. Every one of them knew the reality and power of the resurrection of Christ. They knew what it meant. They knew that it opened a way for us to be right with God. And after this life is over, we step from this life to eternal life. So on this Easter Sunday, remember the amazing truth that Jesus is risen. He is alive today. And if you've not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can do that today. For me, it was a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. You paid the price for my sins. I received the free gift of forgiveness today, Lord. Come into my life and change me. From this day forward, I want to follow you you prayed that prayer in your heart to the Lord right now, you don't have to say it out loud because Jesus hears your prayers. If you prayed that in your heart to the Lord, he hears your prayers. And at that moment, you've been forgiven. You received that free gift of forgiveness that was paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. And if you've done that, I'd love for you to email me or text me. Hey, Pastor Mel, I made a decision to follow Christ today made a decision to place my faith and trust in Christ today. It is the most important decision in your life based on the body of evidence that Jesus rose again from the dead and he is alive. Riverview Church, have a fantastic Easter. I look forward to the day when we will be together again. Love you and live this Easter. Offer him. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for this day, a day when we remember what you did by rising again from the dead, proving that everything you said was true, proving that your sacrifice on the cross 
paid for our sins. And by doing that, you made a way for us to be part of your family, to be adopted into your family. And Lord, we love you. We give you all the praise and all the glory because you deserve it. You've changed our lives and we are forever grateful. And we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.